Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and the shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hey there, Maria. Hi, John. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest co-founded Barrel Theory Beer Company in St. Paul, Minnesota in 2017, along with Brett Splinter and Todd Tibisar. Over the past five years, Barrel Theory has earned numerous national accolades, including one of the hottest breweries in America by Thrillist, one of the best new brewers in the world by Rate Beer, and best new brewery by Growler Magazine and by USA Today 10 Best. In 2019, they won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival in the Specialty Berliner Weiss category for Midwestern Exotic, a low-alcohol brew with calamansi, blood orange, tangerine, and peach. How did they garner so much acclaim in five short years? Our next guest is here to tell us how it all went down. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Timmy Johnson. Thank you very much for uh, joining us this morning at uh, at, at Miami time. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks for having me, for sure. <laughs> so we'll jump right in. So kind of take us back to the beginning. Did you grow up in Minnesota? Did I grow what? Did you grow up in Minnesota? Yeah, I've always been in Minnesota. Um, not in the city, like a little bit north of the city, uh, not far, like maybe 12, 15 minutes from the brewery now in New Brighton. So, yep. Grew up there, so I've always been here. Nice, nice. Yep. Do you recall, I mean, like, rewind it back a little bit. Do you recall the first craft beer that you ever had, and was that the beer that kind of lit the spark into you wanting to get into brewing? Yeah, so I remember going to uh, Haskell's and getting a Delirium uh, Tremens. Like, that was the first craft beer I ever had. Because oh, I think boy. I was, like, looking up, like, beers you know stuff like that i'm like oh this thing won best brew, you know best beer in the world in like 1999 or something like that right <laughs> so <laughs> i wouldn't pick that up and that was kind of my first uh craft beer at least from overseas and the first one i had here uh was furious it's ah. really furious ah. and i didn't like it at all i'm like this is and then i had a coffee bender from them and i was like this is this is great so Nice. When, when do you? So when would that? When would that have been that you you tried those beers? Oof, man, that would have been. I was uh, college, so I would have been twenty. I mean, I was twenty one. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. Probably two thousand six. Nice. Nice. Two thousand seven. Yeah, because I started to volunteer personally after that, like right around that same point, right when they kind of opened. I think it was like two thousand two thousand eight or something like that. So okay, okay, what. Was it around that time, like around college and you trying these craft beers, you know, Furious and Bender and stuff yeah. that you, did you start to homebrew at that time? I mean, no, I didn't start to homebrew till a couple of years, like would have been lots of, lots of years later, like 20, no, actually wasn't that 2009 was the first time I homebrewed 2009, 2010 was the first time I homebrewed. I bought like kegs off Craigslist, cut them, you know, went to Harbor Freight, getting, like, all these cutting dyes and drilling holes into them, <laughs> buying ball valves from Midwest Supply. Uh, so that was the first time I homebrewed. It was, like, yeah, 2009. Do you, do you remember what your first homebrew was? Yeah, Imperial Stout. No, actually, it was a Citra Double IPA, and it sucked. <laughs> I, remember, like, <laughs> I remember, like, putting fresh hops in this thing, and, like, I don't know what I was doing. Like, leaf hops, not fresh hops, excuse me, like, leaf hops, and... I'm like, yeah, this is coming around. This will come around. And it was, it never came around. It sucked. But like, I went all grain. I didn't do extract or brew in the bag stuff. That's um, brave. All grain, all all grain, grain for your first time is brave. I know. It was like, I'm just saying, I'm going to go all into this. And then I made an Imperial Stout, the second brew. Um, and that was better. I think because I messed around with a couple little pale ales and stuff like that. And then went to an Imperial Stout. So, of course, right, yeah. uh, right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I try. <laughs> For sure. So, Brett Splinter and you worked together at Surly Brewing Company in Minneapolis. I mean, what were you doing for Surly 
back then, like when you first started and, and along along those times? Yeah, we were uh, friends way back, and he was there as like the volunteer uh, coordinator, I do believe, and running tours and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and we were friends before that, and then um, I signed up to dip bottles to their website. Uh, like I think it was Smoke was the first time I did it, and because that was a big thing back then. I mean, Darkness was kind of the first that with like Dark Lord and. Yes. You know, in the East Coast, yep. Kate the Great, the big Imperial Stouts, right, to yep. get, get in lines. It's a big day. So it was a big deal to, like, try to get in there, and everybody wanted to do it because, like, that wasn't a thing anywhere. Right. Um, especially in Minnesota. So when did you meet uh, Todd Tibisar? Uh We were all friends at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So we were all kind of group. Uh, Todd and Brett, were, like, lived together way before I even met those two, and then um, – we were all friends way before that. So we all kind of were just like a small group. We always used to drink beers together um, and such, go to trips uh, and whatnot. And I was working at the brewery at the time, like brewing. And those two kind of came up with the idea of starting Barrel Theory. Okay. And then I was brought in like shortly, shortly after because they, you know, it turns out they needed someone to brew beer. Neither <laughs> right. one of those were going to brew beer. So, and I was like, yeah, I used to bring over my homebrew all day. It was a thing. So I used to always bring over homebrews because I was brewing. Even when I was brewing at Surly, I was still brewing almost every weekend at home, like every Sunday. Crazy, man. You know, yeah, I was doing some stuff. I mean, it ain't cheap either. So, I mean, homebrewing's expensive now. Even, oh, even I mean, back yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, because the investment into carboys, kegs, uh, you know, if you had a one of those coolers as your fermentation temperature Dude, controlled yeah. and all that exactly. stuff. I mean, yeah, you, you're dumping like thousands of dollars into this. I mean, it's, Dude, some people go like crazy on that stuff and they still do, but yeah, it was an expensive hobby back then. So you better like, you know, want it to actually do this and you know, more so than a hobby. I thought in my mind. So yeah, I was kind of dedicated to it for uh, quite some time back then. Quite time consuming too. Oh. Especially yeah, if you're doing well, yeah. it five days a week and then you spend <laughs> yeah. all Sunday doing it, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I know. I mean, like, well, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, like, if he was doing it on the weekends and, and still homebrewing, I mean, like, when I was at Cigar City working, like, you know, my nine to five, I would still go to a brewer's tasting room and still crank out one barrel batches on their, their brewing system. Yeah, over there. but once you opened this oh, yeah. place, you weren't homebrewing anymore. Well, no. I mean, like, you don't have time <laughs> for that crap. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do don't have time. Like, I don't homebrew as much anymore. Sometimes there's like neighbors that like want to do it, and I'm like, man, this is actually kind of fun because that's not a job. Like, right, it's fun right, to do right. It. This is like this is way more serious, and we have to like you know we do a certain thing here, and it's just like we have to like nail a lot of things. Where you homebrew, it's just like you're just having a couple beers and relaxing, you know, having fun. You know, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we all we all kind of met back then. We were all really good friends. Um, nice. That's where I met Todd. So and he kind of right now like runs basically all the money and stuff here and he's that guy and he's a finance guy yes he's a yeah very smart individual for sure nice nice so would you say it was it was brett and todd's idea to really start the brewery yeah yeah those two they also talked about it i know we all kind of talked about it but it was those two that kind of got it together um the plan whatnot talking to the guy that owns this building um seeing if it was even a possibility to put a brewery in here and then yeah i was approached shortly after that um to be like co-owner and be the head brewer here nice so, so how many yep. how, how many years in are you guys now five five and a almost five and a half now nice two years we were shut down almost for covid so a year for sure like we shut down a full year wow and then opened up slowly after that year so nice nice so how did you guys come about setting up shop in, in lower town neighborhood of uh, st paul well, uh, it was just kind of weird. I know, I know that Brett was down here. We have a restaurant next door to us called Dark Horse, and um, nothing to do with the, nothing to do yeah, with the uh, brewery. <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with the brewery at all. No, no, no. Yeah. People do ask that. Like, it's like, no, this has nothing to do with the Michigan brewery. Um, but yeah, there was they, they used to come down here and drink or whatnot. Or there's the owner there used to work at Surly as well um, back in the day, Patty and. I think Brett was like, Hey, what are you guys doing with that space? And the building owner like was in there and Patty was like, Hey, let me introduce you to uh, uh, the guy that owns it. And that's kind of how it took off. So he stepped on the space. I think him and Todd kind of got together maybe a couple days after maybe that day and talked about like, if it was able to like throw a spot in here, um, lower town was like an up and coming place at the time. Uh, you know, right before COVID, like it was growing like restaurants, sweet restaurants were moving in. Um, the park life with the events that they have down there was was uh, really vibrant and was bringing a lot of people down here. So it's like, why not, you know, put a small brewery in here? It was big enough 
um, to do like the amount of barrels that we wanted to do to be like a taproom focused brewery and not like a package to go right. or say like cans crawlers. Yeah. But like small distribution, if any, and then doing all of our stuff in house crawlers to go tap, you know, uh, pints and stuff like that. So can, can you tell me a little bit about the building itself? Like how big is the building and how did you guys go about financing the build out and like, how long did that build out take? For yeah, you guys? yeah. So the building's about 8,000 square feet. Oh, okay. uh, top and bottom. So it's about 4,000 down 4,000 above. It's not huge. It's not yeah. It's like, we don't have a dock door and stuff like that. So it's a lot of manual lifting and stuff like that. Kegs have to go down and up and down a lift so forth. So like the financing, um, was all done through the guy who owns the building. So he uh, gave us, okay. we don't have to go through a bank. He was our main investor. Um, he gave us all of our money, um, to get this thing started. So that was nice. But I know, like, I don't know that part, Todd, and Todd would know more about that. Like, if it didn't go, like, we did have bank financing right. with good terms. Like, at that time, like, yeah, they were they were a little bit giving out money to places and whatnot. I think nowadays that might be a little different. No, Interest rates they're, not. That's a little, they're not. They're really? not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say, like, starting a brewery now or anything, like, I, I know they pop up all the time everywhere. Like, I couldn't imagine. No way. Like, doing that now. Like, and no getting equipment, like, Jesus, good luck. Yeah, I mean, the cost yeah. of stainless nowadays versus what it was five, six, seven, eight years ago is yep. crazy. Exactly. So if you're lucky enough to get some defunct brewery or something that close, like, I, good for you. But, like, get a new brew house, I heard they take a long time. Like, I think the guys down at Blackstack, I think they were looking for a new brew house or something like that. And it's, like, it's way out. I mean, it's, right. Right. it's, it's two years. It's like two years. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Like, how long did the build out for your place take? Shoot, I bet you it was less than a year. I mean, I, I bet you it was like eight, eight, nine months. I mean, the guy that owns this building owns a construction company. Oh, so, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was pretty fast. Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, guys in here pretty quick because they wanted to get the brewery open to start brewing beer. You know, he wants to return on his. Everybody wanted to brew. Everybody wanted to, you know, get some income coming in, you know, get some beers. So, like, we were working pretty fast. The only thing that we actually had to wait on the equipment. The build-out was done. So, like, we waited on the equipment, and we, as soon as it was done, like, we brought it right in. Nice. So, and that was, we had to tear open a windows here and stuff like that to get it in. So, uh, it went fairly fast, actually. That's so, crazy. But this, there's, it's absolutely not a place a brewery belongs in. Like, we had to haul the boiler downstairs in the basement back corner. Like, there's a lot of things putting a brewery into like a city area that is hard so you know you you got this four thousand square feet downstairs which is yep. it's like a limestone cellar basically i mean are yes, you yes. are you specifically using that to barrel age yeah. all your beers all the barrels so our barrels are down there keg washer is there um our boiler is down there we have a giant cooler down there cooler is almost a third of the space down there wow. because we wanted to be able to have to keep things cold. Right. So like hops and whatever we can bring in and kegs all keep that cold. So, so it, that's kind of like a third of that down there. How cold does it get in your building when it's snowing in Minnesota? <laughs> how hard is it? Sometimes tough. I mean, a lot of people have trucks, all wheel drive cars. I mean, getting into the city sucks. They'll plow the freeways like instantly, like the department of transportation here, like on the freeways when it snows, like they're out, but like getting into the city, they don't plow it till it's done snowing. How how cold is that building during the winter, though? <laughs> well, upstairs good. Downstairs it doesn't really change. I mean, right? It's a cellar, so it, it should. Yeah, we try. Yes, we try to like keep it warm here. It's like seventy two. Nice. But I mean, if the heat goes out, it's not ideal. I mean, it gets like <laughs> negatives a lot. I mean, our chiller. When I came down to Wakefest two years ago, the we left. It was negative thirty five the actual temperature not including wind chill oh my god and we gosh. hit miami with 85 so right. we like went through 100 degrees Swing. and the chiller stopped because it couldn't make any air the compressor it was so dense that the chiller just stopped wow because it was so cold that's crazy it almost froze glycol oh my gosh yeah because you got to be like yeah i think it's negative i don't even remember the temperature the glycol freezes at but it it's down there. it's like 30 something 35 yeah. 40 depending on what you're doing but like yeah, it gets it's it's cold. Like, yeah, and hauling malt outside. Like, and it, we've had pretty good winters where it hasn't snowed a ton, but like, it'll get cold for like a couple of weeks for sure. Like negatives for highs. So, nice. so, so your guys' name, Barrel Theory, comes from yeah. Liebig's Law of the Minimum. Can you explain yeah. what that is and why you chose to name your brewery after yeah, that law? I mean, yeah, it was it, it was for sure tough finding a name in the first place. Like we went through all these different names and a lot of people either had the name or there was a pet, not a name or 
you know, um, so we kind of came up, we're just talking and like, I think I remember sitting at Brett's house, like talking about barrels and then like barrel theory, we looked this up. So basically all in all, it means like your best beer is as good as like your worst beer. So like, if you're not making all around good beers, it's, it's just like, you got to own everything. Right. So <laughs> right. Your, your worst beer is only as good as your best beer kind of situation. So, oh, okay. Yep. Okay. I mean, that works. So, so it means that you're shooting to make even the worst beer as great as possible so that even the greatest beer is even beyond that. It's like a barrel. It means about a stave, like your longest stave is only as good as your shortest stave. So if you have a short stave and a barrel, like it's probably going to like, you know, fall out. So you got to make sure that you always have good barrels. I don't Ah, know. Something ah. like that. (laughs) (laughs) Something around that. Uh, Yeah. So so what, what kind of, uh, what kind of brewer like brewing setup do you have inside of the brewery itself? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a 10 barrel brew house. We have a two vessel, uh, it's a mash ton uh, kettle whirlpool um, from Craftwork. Oh. I don't know if they're still building systems or not anymore. A lot of the guys have left that, but uh, yeah, they're like oversized tents, so they're almost twenties. Oh wow! Um, okay, but you can't brew twenty like you can't you can't brew a twenty barrel batch of like IPA per se without using like some sugar. So, but we wanted it for stouts, so like we could just overfill the mash ton. Like we can get about thirteen hundred pounds of grain oh, into wow. one. Wow. one mash if you have to i mean obviously you lose some efficiency there but um so yeah and then we have uh 410 barrel okay fermenters 220s nice and then 120 barrel bright and then two 10 barrel brights sounds so sounds like a familiar setup i know that yep. i know that deal what um how many barrels are you guys doing now annually uh our max at the time like before 2019 was like 900 we're doing about seven to eight hundred now uh it's stuff we need to brew definitely some more, but like, it's like now at this time, if we make more, we're going to have to like distribute more at this point. Right. Like that's kind of where the market has gone. Like a yeah. lot of people are going to liquor stores now more than coming down, especially like in our area, in the cities, you know, there's a lot of bad media stuff that goes on where it's like, Oh, the cities are dangerous. Don't go down. And oh boy, you know, we pull from a lot of suburbs and stuff like that. And they see that they don't want to come down. So it's like, since COVID, everybody was distributing beers, right? Everybody in the United States. I mean, we got your beer, other half, all these right. breweries came into our state because they needed, everybody needed to sell beer. Yep. So a lot of the, a lot of the folks around here got into the uh, mindset of just buying beer at liquor stores, taking it home. Yep. Going down to tap rooms wasn't a thing for so long because you couldn't go into beer. So like, yeah, we brew more than we're going to have to like put them in crawlers, which isn't the greatest format and then distribute them. And so, yeah, we'll probably stick right around there until we can potentially maybe find a bigger space and get a canning line. Right. Um, which is kind of the plan, I think, what we're looking to do. So Nice. Okay. See, it's just fine. It's hard finding real estate. So. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's everybody's problem right now, like even ours. I mean, we're moving out from the storage across the street and just trying to find a storage space. Is... Yep. <laughs> I can imagine it's definitely tougher, like, in your area than it is for us because we have a lot of, like, suburbs that you can move out of, like, you know, right. 20 minutes and you're in the suburbs from Minneapolis, St. Paul. And there's lots of land. I mean, acreage and stuff right. like that. Where you, right. it's like you're in this tight city and it's probably a little bit more expensive too. Yeah. You know? A little bit. Yep. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, you know, like how have your beer offerings diversified or changed over the years? I know like, uh, you know, like when we talked, like when you were opening and stuff like that, like you were going to do yep. sours and imperial stouts and obviously IPAs. Have you added more to that portfolio or are you still kind of run the same lines? Yeah, we're definitely like strong on hazy IPA. Um, you know, the like hazy IPAs and Imperial stouts, obviously those are our bread and butter. We continue to do those all the time. Um, they're very popular with a lot of like our clientele. Um, we do do uh, some good lagers, uh, pills, all that stuff. Have advice. And we do mix all that stuff in West coast IPA for sure. We are definitely heavy on the hazy. Um, and also, like, the, the Berliners, like, were a thing. Like, they were, like, strong, like the normal ones. The stuff without, like, lactose in it and, like, those types of, like, smoothie sours. Uh-huh. Like, kind of took over that fresh, heavily fruited, fresh fruit, like, tart kettle sour. You know, I right. know that gets a bad name, but it's, it's harder than people think it is to make a good one. And then moved to these smoothie sours. So we kind of backed off on some of the Berliners for a minute. Because people wanted all these smoothie sours. And we have a brewery that's not far from us that makes really good, like Drecker and right. stuff like that. Um, you know, they crush it during COVID. Like, 
they came out with all these and it's just like they everybody was buying them like lines right. for them right and it became a popular trend i think in a lot of places in a lot of states yes so then some of the berliners like the uh, regular ones that were actually tart yes. and stuff like yeah they, people didn't want the business but now we're gravitating back towards that now because now we're selling a ton of them again right you, you're yeah. starting to see that and actually what i'm yeah. starting to hear and read is that people are like over drinking the smoothie sours like they're yeah. they're like tired of drinking them like it's like oh i can only drink like a f- five ounce pour of that and then it's like yeah i can't even drink the rest it's too much sugar it's too but i'm start we're starting to see this swing back to actual kettle sours like actual tart you know fresh fruit tart sours and, yeah. and not just a jama juice smoothie drink nothing they, against those hey listen they're good like i said like yeah. five six ounces. like i think they're excellent nice little dessert beers but yeah there's not much tartness to it and a lot of people are like man why is this beer? like they'll come in here and be like why is this so tart it's like it's because it's an actual like you know right. it's like these are actually what this you know this is what kind of started things like and then the smoothie sour came from this so uh yeah now people are kind of gravitating back towards that nice. so nice you know yeah i agree yeah. I, I totally see that movement back can you can you kind of tell me like what was the beer scene in twin cities like five years ago versus what it is now um yeah so i mean when we first started there was no one making hazy ipas that i know of at the time i think i shouldn't say that for a fact i don't know if black sack made 755 because they were open two three months before us okay so i'm not sure if they were but like we made the first hazy double ipa here okay and then we started making raindrops so it was either us or them kind of the same but there was no Big stouts were done by Surly. Like, darkness was the thing. Um, there might have been one other place. That was, oh, yeah. So you had, like, um, Vickers up north was doing, like, an Imperial style that were pretty good. So, But it was very rare to see, like, any of these styles that are happening now done five years ago. So five years ago, it was still, like, Surly was big. Right. Town Hall was big with their Imperial right. Stout day. Of course. Yes, Town, yeah. Hall was, Town Hall was, like, OG of, like, barley wines. Yep. And they're still very good. They're still very good um, masala mama, mango mama, you know, oh, they were yeah. doing all these things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so people, is very popular. Like, their barrel aged day was awesome. So that's kind of the, the players in the game at that time. And then we came around, and I'm like, you know, I was a guy, I think kind of like you back then, too, like chasing beers a little bit, you know, getting scouts yep. from different places, trying other people's stuff. Like, I was trading, I was a big trader, like, on Beer Advocate. Like, yep. Looking for Hetty Topper. Like, I used to try to <laughs> yeah. trade cases of that. And, when yep. I, you know, I work at Surly. Like, I get abrasive. And I would, like, trade abrasive, which was very popular. Yep. Search a double IPA up here. Yep. And trade that for Hetty Topper. Because, like, nice. the IPAs, that was kind of the thing. And that's when I started making them. I'm like, or Hill Farmstead. Like, I had Susan and Double Citra. And I'm just like, Jesus, these are good. So that's, you know, nice. kind of, like, why I started five years ago making those styles. Because they were not here at all. And now, and, and, and now you got this influx of all these guys kind of doing all the kind of same things. Yes, everybody is doing all the same thing. It's just like the process and what you get for hops is kind of differing people. Uh, yep. you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. So I got a question, though. Can, can you describe Barrel Theory's Build Together project and why did you start it and what does it do? I think it's, it's a big thing that I think the people that kind of started that, I think, is a lot of, like, the OG kind of brewers around. Like, I did certainly gives a damn a okay. lot. Um, and they were, like, huge. They do stuff all over the place. Um, I think they were kind of, like, the starters of all this, like, volunteer events, brewery-wise, okay. at least. Get a bunch of people together, go out, serve the community, whether it's build dressers, um, help with, like, races, um, gardening stuff build houses like i did habitat for humanity with them oh wow so that's kind of like the same thing that we do we kind of copy that per se and get a bunch of folks that like to drink our beer volunteer sign up it sounds like it's doing pretty well we definitely get people to uh sign up for that and they go out in the community and uh serve just different uh entities of stuff whether it's dresser builds fixed bikes oh um stuff like that so it's pretty cool that's dope man that is dope so i got one last question for you so Many people don't realize, you know, how beautiful Minnesota really is. Over 10,000 lakes, the northern lights, endless opportunities for hiking, biking, canoeing in the summer, you know, cross-country skiing, pond hockey, ice fishing in the winter. 
How does barrel theory connect to that spirit, like that spirit of nature, sport, and recreation that makes Minnesota so special? That's a good question. First of all, when are you coming up here? <laughs> when are you and Maria coming up here? You guys I know. Are I, the East I, it's, like? it's the summer. We've got to go in the summer. Yeah. yeah. We it's go, not going to be in the winter. Go. Okay. It's not going to be in the winter so when it's like, like negative 30. <laughs> you know, Maria would die. I would die. You would die too. No, I'd be all right. Except- yeah. I mean, you know, this, the summer is good here. I mean, yeah, the winners do. So I don't recommend the winter. It's fine. Unless you want to come play hockey and stuff, you know, like yeah. you were just talking about. Like, yeah, there's pond hockey. There's things to do. Snowshoeing. Heard of it? Snowmobiling. <laughs> yes, I know all that. <laughs> yes. Hey, listen, my brother used to live up there. I mean, it's a testament. Oh. Like, yes. Yeah, you know that. Isn't he in Montana now, too, I think. I think he's in Montana now, he, right? he's even He's even more Jordan. He's even more isolated in the middle of nowhere. But, yes. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, used to be a, yeah he used to be a frequent customer here. Yes, um, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Like, you know, there is a lot of breweries that are in the state that kind of like are in these areas, like the North Shore and stuff like that, that right. fit kind of the model. Like there's Ben Paddle and Duluth that like really bring in. For all the canoeing and all that. Like around the canoeing, the out, right. you know, the backpacking, the camping. Like we're, since we're like a city kind of thing, I, it's tough to like kind of fit in. I think we're more of the urban stuff and, you know, kind of gravitate towards like where you're at. So Nice. Keeping our rock, you know, normal, like down here, not covering up the stuff and like kind of keeping that with the vibe of the city is kind of like where we fit in, I think. Nice. Um, but we're definitely like, you know, we got a bunch of like tattoo stuff and, you know, kind of like wall art graffiti like on our wall. So like we kind of do that kind of scene to nice. fit in with like the urban area, right? Yeah, like us. Like us being yeah, in the middle so of the yeah. yeah, you got all the sweet stuff. Like yeah. I, I love all that stuff. So we kind of did similar to get some of this wall art and stuff like that to kind of like bring ourselves into the city um yeah. for sure. so that's kind of like what we kind of do so awesome so we are big sports people here and whatnot so wild vikings i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah i hear you i hear you yeah. uh, i mean they are i mean i think the vikings are cho- you know predicted to win the division actually yeah, yeah i think, I think they're coming down to the miami dolphins game oh uh, you better let me know like, yeah i will i think it's in october november or something like that Okay. So me and Dave McGrath from uh, Surly, he's going down there. So I'm going down uh, with him, I think. So Awesome. Awesome, brother. That'll be dope. Well, thank you very much for your time, man. It's uh, Thanks, very much Jimmy. appreciated. And thank yeah, you thank very much you. for coming on the show, man. And, uh, for sure. All we'll, right. We'll see the FBI later then. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Later. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is the store manager at Unknown, an apparel lifestyle brand, concept retail store, and community venue here in Miami. Unknown offers a unique blend of luxury athletic clothing brands, streetwear, and of course, painstakingly curated athletic footwear, all under one roof. Its style sensibilities match that of the three owners, all childhood friends from Akron, Ohio, one of whom you have surely heard about. The brand has leaned into corporate partnerships, collaborations, and community activations and is a great example of the new direction in modern retailing. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Sean Motley. Thank you very much for joining us in the tap room this morning. For sure, man. I appreciate you guys. It's been some time coming, for sure, and a pleasure to have you here with us today. So before we get into collaborations, partnerships, and community activations, can you tell us who Frankie Walker Jr., and Jerome Camphor are, and how did they meet LeBron James? All right, cool. So uh, Jaron is his name. Uh, Jaron and Frankie. Uh, Frankie, uh, for sure, has the uh, the longstanding relationship with LeBron. Uh, it's more so like his brother. They okay. grew up with each other. Uh, both Frankie and Jaron are both from Akron. Uh, they both, uh, again, grew up with them, played at St. Vincent St. Mary, oh, wow, okay. uh, played high school basketball with each other. Families are very close. Um, you know, again, once you finish college, man, and you're looking for something to do, you, you know, you, everybody's looking for a job or they want to create something, and you pretty much, like, you know, you, you start to look for things that align with, you know, the things that you love, your hobbies, and, you know, basketball and, and the sneaker industry, they, they go hand in hand. Uh, so it was a no-brainer for both uh, Frankie and Jaren alongside with Brian, a partner, and uh, Create Unknown, which has been around Miami for 10-plus years now. I was going to say, like, can you give us kind of like the backstory on how Unknown came to be? Like, and what's the concept behind Unknown? I mean, what did it sell and who's the target audience? Because, like, when I remember, 
first being introduced to Unknown, it was in Aventura Mall. For sure. How did like you know what's so, the backstory? So on that? so Unknown, uh, our tagline is the uh, the sport of fashion. Okay. Right. So everything is sports driven. Um, our new uh, where we're at currently in Wynwood, you know, we have the basketball court. Um, it gives op- it gives you know people the opportunity to play ball, to play sports, um, to uh, pretty much have an experience that's just based around things that they once dreamed of as kids, right? Right. right. Um, I would say even our our uh, selection of clothing it mimics the closets of all of us, nice. right? Yeah. Uh, especially you know Jaren and, and Frankie. Uh, with them being like the power players of the brand, um, you know, again, both guys are both from Akron, Ohio. Uh, coming to Miami, uh, it's you're influenced heavily yeah. by hip hop culture, basketball yes. culture, yep. just the glitz and glamour, right? So yep. um, the key was to you know bring the the hottest of the hot uh, to the store, whether it's a brand or the people, right. and make it something that's larger than life, right? So. If you go through the uh, the unknown archives, you'll see uh, LeBron, you'll see Kanye West, Jay Z, yep, yep. Beyonce, uh, Bieber, uh, hell, even like Eric Emanuel, which is you know one of the top designers. Like his shorts go crazy. Uh, he has a store in uh, in Design District right now, but those shorts were first ran through unknown. Oh damn! Okay. Uh, so like you have somebody like Jaren that will give you know any up and coming like artists or creative that shot to like get their stuff okay. off and that's the platform that that unknown provides to uh to people within miami and now uh we're opening up in akron so you know Take it's it like back that, to the hometown it's that homecoming feel right okay. they get to experience everything that that we do here in miami nice nice because i remember like when it was in aventura mall obviously there was no basketball court i mean it was very much fashion centric i mean the shoes you guys had i think that's where you got you picked up your pair of uh my my sneaker wedges the the dunk wedges i love the Which, i can't they believe don't make they no more. stopped making those Dude. shoes i could rock those sho- they look so good yeah yeah it's so good yeah yeah now one thing about us man we we try to bring in things that you typically wouldn't see so I mean, you can go shop at your Foot Lockers, your Finish Lines, or any retailer as right. such. But when you come to un- Unknown, you know that you're going to see some some crazy stuff. So when did you get involved? Uh, so I got involved four years ago. Okay. Um, again, always been a fan of LeBron. He's my favorite athlete. Okay. You know, watched him on ESPN. Of course, yeah, uh, yeah. So you see him from, like, from high school to where he's at now, and it's crazy. Um, and then I remember just going through a transition career-wise. I had a career within uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, various okay. cities. And then I'm like, all right, cool. We're opening up in Wynwood. We're doing that whole piece. Uh, it's the Midwest Connect. I'm originally from Indianapolis. Those guys are from Ohio. So it's almost like one and the same. And uh, we built up like a connection prior to, right? Like, you know, it's I understand what you want to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I bring to the table. Um, and from there, it's just been match made in heaven. Nice. And I think kind of leading into this, I mean, you kind of stem and head the kind of like the corporate partnerships, the collaborations, mm-hmm. and community activations. Mm-hmm. But why are those things so important to the brand? Uh, it's, it's important to the brand because, you know, creating community is everything, right? You can't. You can only really rely on consumers so much. Like people would like to feel like they're part of the process, and when you build that community, you're bringing them along, and they're getting a chance to see the behind-the-scenes work, and they're getting a chance to feel, touch, see the product, or whatever it is that you're building uh, firsthand. So when people have that that touch, or they feel like they're a part of it, they want to help you grow as well. And I think that's uh, we do a good job at unknown uh, because of that, because of our community partners. Um, my background is marketing, right? So undergraduate degree in marketing, I have an MBA in oh, international business. Okay. okay. Uh, and I, I just, okay. I know like, you know, I'm, I'm all about OPM, other people's money, right? <laughs> you know, look, man, uh, you know, that's let's, the best kind of money. let's put our resources with, right? together. Let's figure this thing out, right? It's things that you want to get done. It's right. things I want to get done. Two is always better than one. So, um, if we can, you know, make each other happy and, and do something on a much larger scale. I'd rather, you know, team up and partner with people that, you know, that I believe in 
um, and we just get things done. What do you guys look for in potential partners? I mean, is there a filter that you kind of run through with them? For sure. Uh, first, we have to like the product or like the right. brand, right? right? Right. You know, anybody can give you a dollar. Anybody can say, I'll do right. this for you. But it's if our goals don't align, if if we don't like the same things and it probably wouldn't work, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I have a working relationship with you, uh, nine times out of 10, uh, it's going to go, you know, beyond that. We're going to have conversations outside of said business and I just like to be comfortable. Uh, so again, um, you know, that's pretty much what we look for. We look for like-minded individuals that want to accomplish some super dope stuff. Can you tell us, I mean, obviously you got the, the corporate partnerships, Mm -hmm. I think something that might ring a little more true to you is like the community activations. Mm-hmm. Like who are some of the groups that you guys have partnered with as far as like community activations? Uh, community activation wise. So um, outside of the store. So I'm, I'm the uh, captain of our run club or fitness program, but right. uh, mainly like our run program, we partner with a group called late night menu crew. Uh, a lot of these guys started off with Nike. Shout out Arthur. Shout out to Arthur. The partnership with, with, with Arthur and Late Night was, for me, it was, it was a no-brainer. This guy looks like me. We do the same things. <laughs> Yo, I, seriously, it's, it's, uh, it's a new space, right? It's, right. Uh, especially for, for African Americans. Uh, you really don't see too many guys that look like us that have our own run clubs that travel, bring people along with the experience in you know, we come to places like Jay Wakefield and like have drinks and have you guys sponsor. It's it's very new. I have people that contact me from all across the U.S. Uh, whether Detroit. it's Atlanta, Detroit, where right. and it's right. yo, how do y'all do that? Like, why are y'all drinking beer after a run? Why right. are you guys going to Marlin Stadium? How how did this and that happen? I'm like, yo, it's all relationship driven, driven, but it's 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 all about an experience as well, like. You know, we're, we all dream big once we're young. Of course. And, you know, course. as we get older, it's like, all right, cool. I want to take you guys on this journey with me, um, however big or however small it is. So uh, that's, you know, one of the big partners with us. We do a lot of stuff, obviously, with you guys. You guys help power a lot of our runs and our fitness uh, objectives. Uh, we have Zephyr Hills. Zephyr Hills is like a huge partner, whether it's, you know, providing water for um, you know, running, basketball, whatever, they come through nice. and they, they definitely put in work with us. Um, and again, it's like, you know, with water, I'll tell you, like, before every run, I would have to go to like Walgreens or somewhere and just buy cases of water. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm tired of doing this. Right. I'm, I'm late. You know, I need to find a water sponsor. Right. Mm-hmm. And they came and, you know, they, they've helped us out tremendously. Why, why is the run so, near and dear to your heart man like that run club um dude we work hard on a daily basis and that's like the only time that i get to myself i get to flush out my ideas i get to listen to you know music podcasts if i want to yell if i want to sing as loud as i can typically i'm out on the road at 6 a.m there's nobody else that that's stopping me or even bothering me so uh running is a way for me to flush out my thoughts it's a way for me to stay active uh get my heart pumping prepare for the day um, and I just know like the mental effects and like what, you know, endorphins and everything can do for you. I, I mean, I think you've also taken this unknown run club to actual marathons. Oh, for sure. So I'm competitive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think your whole, your whole crew is competitive. For sure. You know what I mean? What, what marathons have you guys competed uh, in so far? So my aunt, we've done the Miami ma- uh, marathon. We've done the Brooklyn marathon. Jeez. On right. November 5th, we'll be in Indianapolis, uh, we also have a couple of runners competing in the New York Marathon that oh. same day. Um, look, it, you know, you, you guys yeah, go to Boston. We're, yo, we're gonna bring people to Boston. We're gonna have people in Berlin. We're oh, gonna wow. do all that. Um, you know, you community-wise, you want to have fun, right? But you want people that are also gonna challenge you, right? And if you're gonna do and anything and put, yeah, if you're gonna put it to work in, yo, you for damn sure better just be the best. You know, be the best version of yourself. And on top of that, man, we get to bring home trophies and, and, and represent the store and represent the squad. And, you know, I, even as a person, I like to have the best of the best around me at all times. So whether it makes it's a you crew, better. Of course. Of course. 
but not only is it just running, mm-hmm. obviously, like we're working on you with an activate community activation with like yoga. Mm-hmm. I think you guys have also done the hit classes mm-hmm. and some other fitness inspired, you know, workouts with, I mean, um, what's the, the fitness mama or what, what's her name? Baby mama. Baby fitness. mama. Fit. Baby yeah. mama. Fitness. Yeah. Star. She's, Star, run, yeah. Yeah. she's run classes out there. Yep. I mean, so it's still very, I mean. I mean, we used to do it back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like in the beginning, like we would hold workouts, hit, hit mm-hmm. classes. I mean, we had barbells. <laughs> I mean, we, we had. I mean, we had wads out here. Like we had all types of stuff. But that's kind of near and dear to me. Yeah, just being involved in fitness as as a shoe store, like kind of fitness store, because obviously you have more than just basketball mm-hmm. shoes. You cover all kind of angles. I mean, it's still important about keeping people involved in the community in fitness and kind of keeping that active lifestyle going for sure. I mean, I, I believe that's, I mean, that seems what's to me is what is important to you guys as yep. well. Yep. Shout out to my boy D Nicks at Barry's. I'll say this, everything that we do on the court is something that I do in my regular day to day routine. And you know, you get you constantly get hit up like, yo, I want to do something right, like that. Right, I want right. to be a part of something like that. It's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's bring it to the court. Um, and every person that you named that's been affiliated with a workout, they're friends of mine. Right. So my entire thing was, all right, cool. If I ever get this, you know, get a position as such, I want to put on my friends. I want to highlight them because I feel like they do super dope stuff, you know, amongst the community as well. Um, so it goes back to that experience factor. It's, you know, where else can you be on one of the top ranked courts in all of the world and be able to do uh your your favorite workout with a brand with a brand that's affiliated with like LeBron and right. like everything else you know it's right. it's the whole build up um but again man fitness is it's everything like we want so much in life but you know if you if your body's not there and you know you won't even see it you know you won't live a, you won't right. live long enough right. to even see it one thing i i want to kind of go back into is something that i've seen i don't know if you guys have seen it but like running that brand that you do mm-hmm. with those sneaker drops and those clothing drops. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen a change in the market with that line culture? Cause like pre, you know, pre COVID it was whatever. It was crazy. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And then no lines, no this or that, buy the stuff online. And now you come back to where things are back to normal or getting. So what is the new normal, you know, and are you, Still seeing those lines? Are people still going crazy? Oh, yeah, about no, them? for sure. You still see uh, the excitement is definitely there when it comes to sneakers. I would say uh, if, you, if you take a look at, you know, the current state of the economy, it's, right, definitely, right, right, right. it's definitely shuffled some things up. Uh, you've seen Jordans go from 190 to right. 210 to 215. Right, all of a sudden, right, right. For sure. Yeah. And we're not even talking about the taxes that are included on it. Correct. So. Uh, that's definitely had like an effect. We've noticed that over the past year, but you know, with anything, if you create a, a hot product, right, it's, it's going to sell, right? Of course, <laughs> the demand course. is still going to be there. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know, because we're starting to see it slowly come back and come back, and you got to kind of build back into that. I just didn't know if that carried over to other categories of collectibles. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, People definitely, I think there was a point, especially last year, so I I say from a business perspective, don't look at your your LYs because what happened during the pandemic, that was, that's... Anomaly. For sure. Right. Right, people had like endless amounts of dollars to spend. Now people won't just buy any release that comes out. It has to be something that they truly want. For sure. I think I kind of agree with that because, like, we were talking, and now you see a very women's focused drive from Nike, yep, right? And yep. for me, like, that's that's awesome. I got two daughters that play ball, and they're always hitting me up like, "Dad, I need new shoes because these new shoes are dropping like this and that," you know. Or Maria's like, "Oh, do you see these shoes?" Like, they got that expensive habit from somewhere. Well, that's because of my sneaker habit. Yep. But like, I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff that I want to pick up For sure. because I've become very specific in what I want to buy. Right? Like, it's either certain Lebrons or. Jordan one six sevens thirteens like I mean that's my box that's what I stay in yeah that's if it something is not coming out in that box I don't want it you know it's, you know it's I mean? different now man like you know I think 
we rely on like nostalgia, right? I love nostalgia. Same. That's right. I, I buy things that remind me of right. like a certain time stamp. What I was rocking in like seventh grade. For sure. Right. A lot of the kids that are into it now don't care about no, anything. They, no, no. <laughs> like I'm looking yeah. at some of the stuff my son wants to buy. and I'm like, dude, why are you buying that? Why? Like, listen, I understand you got like three pairs of slides. Why do you want these new Yeezy like foams? Or like, why do you want this other pair of Crocs? Like, what's... Why? Well, yeah, for like, sure. There's no nostalgia no, about that. No, most definitely. Most you know? definitely. So it's just like, I, I would agree with that because I see what my kids want. And it's just like, it's just it. buying to buy. And it's like, there's nothing really behind it. Exactly. It's because everybody else is rocking that. Oh, for sure. And what you don't realize is, it's like, all right, cool. You miss this one release that you're going crazy about. Yo, the following week, there's going to be something, something else, else that drops. And right. you're going to forget everything right. about, you know, that week's drop. So. Kind of, kind of looping back into like partnerships mm-hmm. and community driven. Are there any white whales of partners that you have in mind that you kind of dreamed of kind of working with to do do something with? Uh, yeah, for sure. Now, will I name them? Probably <laughs> not. Right? Uh, um, no, no, there's no. Call but yo, no, fine. look, look, we all have a wish list, and I think uh, you know you put the work in. Yeah, people will notice it. Right. And it'll happen. Right. So I can only, uh, you know, I always say control the controllable. And whatever it is that you're doing, like, be the best at it or at least attempt to be the best at it. And then once you have something to offer to these, you know, bigger brands that you want to partner with, then 9 out of 10, they'll say yes because they've seen the work that was actually done. And they don't have to come in and, like, have to build from top to bottom. Right. You know, the structure's already built. We, we do this on a day-to-day basis. We work out. We keep our bodies in shape. We keep the court, you know, top tier. We do everything uh, in our control to make sure that we present the best experience possible. So when it's time to, like, you know, reach out to the bigger brands, it's like, okay, cool. We got X, Y, and Z. We just need you to come in and do this. Right. And it, it just makes it ten times easier. Besides the running shoes, what are you wearing as, as normal kicks? I see, the, I see the cons you got on right now. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm um, wearing some Bapesta, like Lowe's. <laughs> Yo. So are you, still a, are you still a Nike guy when it comes still, to the, like, still the a kicks Nike guy. you Yo. walk on the outside? So if, if you know me, you know I don't go outside of like Air Force Ones. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. Air Force One, there's a, there's a story. I tell everybody I had a, a neighbor. His name was Steve, school teacher. Thought he had the craziest kit collection. Only wore Air Forces, but he had every single colorway, whether it was Ooh. a gum bottom, clear bottom. Nice. Just everything. And I'm like, damn, yo, like when I get some bread. Right. Like, this is going to be me. That's me. That's me. And, yo, I'm, I'm consistent with that. I'll go back and I'll archive my Air Force Ones going from 2003 to 2022. Wow. Wow. That's, that's me. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't play about that. No. You'll, you'll rarely see me uh, wear J's. If you do, again, it's the nostalgia yep. factor that comes into play. So it might be some 11s. Yeah. Um, I try not to do ones because everybody does ones. Everybody does ones. I mean, I think I have four pairs of ones but that's nostalgia for me and i could tell you probably specifically what colorways they are yeah but then beyond that i knew what i grew up with and what i used to love because i had you know the sevens yeah and that's what you know the you had the the usa 92s yep you had the uh the bugs bunnies uh marvin martians i mean sevens to me was like what rang true and it's still what i love to get my hands on. I mean, they don't release a lot of them, but I heard this year they're starting to get back into colorway for the sevens. Sixes are nice, but, like, when I got into the LeBrons, I mean, like, the eight nines, and even I've, I mean, I went through a whole collection of the 15s. I think every single one that they yeah. dropped when they did the, was that the the 15s that they did the uh, the colorway, like the Nike shoebox yep, colorway yep, and all yep, that? Like, yep. I have every single one. The Deion Sanders. Fire. Uh, I mean, all those. Fire. The King Griffey, Fire. like, all of them. Yeah, I mean, but that to me was yeah. awesome. Yeah, like, I'm I'm OG man. I, I appreciate the fact that Jordan's doing like the twos. Yes, I like twos. People try to right. crap on shoes. I yeah. mean, on twos. I'm like, yo, twos are cool. Yeah, but I also love seventeens. Oh, yes. And I mean, yeah, I yo, I get so much crap about seventeens, but I'm like, hey, if you remember the packaging, it came in the suitcase. Yes, it was like the first two hundred dollars sneaker. Yep. 
Uh, it was during the the Lakers three peat, like oh yep. one, oh two, oh like I remember all of that. Like that was a classic shoe for me. And actually, I, I kind of fell in love with the thirty four and thirty fives. Oh wow! They okay. just they feel great, and especially playing ball with the heel cup and everything, they feel great. I think they're super comfortable and, and supportive to play basketball in. But Dope. I mean, that's also Zion and Jason Tatum shoes. So. For sure, for sure. This I has mean, now indoors. turned into a sneaker <laughs> but, <laughs> radio right, show. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's kind of the way it goes. Um, but the big question that I'm going to kind of end it off in uh-huh. is, obviously, you've got the Akron store, right? So that's the next expansion for Unknown. What's next after that? More locations beyond Wynwood and Akron? Or more locations and a larger online presence so uh when it comes to the real estate uh I, like i'm not as involved in that so i won't be able to answer right, that right, right, right. but i will say uh online presence we're definitely beefing I think up I've, right I, th- I think i've seen you guys really start to oh grow, yeah for grow, sure grow, grow, grow. for sure yeah. uh we're definitely be- beefing up online uh we have our guy Corey, who's behind that right. he's doing a hell of a job uh we've seen like you know We've seen numbers like start to rise with like online shoppers, especially with everything that's going on around the world right now, right? Right. A lot of in person sales are kind of dwindling right. away. Right. Uh, so we're beefing that up. And what I will say, man, like Ohio, the Akron store. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the homecoming store, yeah. right? It's, yeah. uh, you're looking at two guys, Frankie and Jaren, that have put a decade plus into this business and they they've they've earned that right to go back home and like do something big for the city uh but then also you have braun who's coming what is this? yeah right, this yeah. is you know was his year 20 coming right up, exactly right? yeah uh, not saying that it's the end right because right. we don't braun can play 10 <laughs> more years <laughs> yeah, but guy's, guy's an animal guy's for an sure animal, man. but you know like you know with someone like that man who has a, the business acumen that he has yep uh, you can only imagine that they're going to be, you know, more locations. Absolutely. So, for sure, I would definitely say look out for more unknown. Right. Um, and if you're ever in the city of Miami, definitely come by the shop and definitely check out Unknown Akron. That opens up next month in September. And if you come into Miami. And you're here on a Saturday next morning. Next weekend. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, right. Saturday morning, go on. you can uh, join the uh, the run club. Mm-hmm. or there might be a hit or workout club going or yep. next Saturday, the 27th at 10 a.m. Yep. You, yes. you got the yoga session going on. So, yeah. So including, we're going. There's always something happening. Including happens. a beer. Yeah. Always. So we're going uh, 7 a.m. run followed by yoga with my good people at Jay Wakefield. It's family over here. Yep. So family. And we got DJ Sage laying down the tracks. On yes. The DJ. We got uh, yes. Stephanie Diaz as our uh, yoga instructor. So For sure. So absolutely. Well, thank you, brother, very much for appreciate you guys. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. It's nice to have family on. Absolutely, it's natural, right? (laughs) Thank you, man. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests Timmy Johnson and Sean Motley, our co-host Maria Cabre, our producer Rocco Riggio, and our editor Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132, or anytime on the SiriusXM app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. And remember, people, the thirst is real.